I remember my childhood, um, I was so far removed from any notion of the world ending. <laughs> Couldn't even fathom. And look where we are now. I'm not that old, <laughs> but it did happen very quickly. Hi, and welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast, where we interview cutting-edge creative artists, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are changing the world. We also bring you tips and techniques that you can implement. This episode is brought to you by my favorite productivity hack, the Brain FM app, this podcast's hosts, Podbean, as well as my book, Speak From Within. And for a limited time, for my podcast listeners, I'm offering a complimentary 15-minute coaching session. See the link at azoldatcom slash coaching or take a look in the show notes. Hey there, and welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. I'm really grateful that you're here. I am actually at the ocean right now, so I'm having a real blast sort of taking my podcast on the road, and I am incredibly excited and honored to bring you this week's guest. You're going to, if you're vegan, as many of you who listen to this show are, if you're a climate change activist, you are going to love MC Ronan. Let me explain who MC Ronan is. MC Rowan is a vegan New Zealand activist and is a multi-award winning fiction author. Her writing is motivated by trying to influence deep social change and inspire compassion for all humans and animals. And you know, that's singing my song, right? The most recent award she received for the Liberation Trilogy, a series of page-turning dystopian thrillers, and that's been compared to the effect of these books to that of Orwell's 1984. And if I may say also, if you are a big reader of Sherry S. Tepper, Tepper's Gibbons' Decline and Fall in the Family Tree will both also be reminiscent of M.C. Ronan's work, so you should definitely check out her work if you've read those. Maya's new powerful novel, Dear Tui, A Warning, is a hard-hitting climate fiction tale. With this book, Maya attempts to influence far-reaching social and behavioral changes. She really wishes people would finally understand that only by choosing a vegan lifestyle and globally shifting to a plant-based economy could we possibly avert the looming climate catastrophe. Wow. Again, you're singing my song, Maya. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I am, first of all, so grateful <laughs> when we're recording this. I didn't realize, but for Maya, it's 4 a.m. So <laughs> you're going to be you're going to be so wise. And I'm going to be like, how did you do that? So I'm thank you so much for taking the time to to be here and to talk about your work, your books and your activism. And I would love to get just started. Right. You are self-described as an activist writer. And I know how I do it because I'm also an activist writer, but I would love it if you would sort of sort of trace for me how the both came about, how the activism came about, how the writing came about, and also how you marry them to do the work that you're doing. Yeah. So yeah, uh, writing for me is absolutely an extension of my activism. It's part and parcel of the activism that I do. Um, I started my grassroots activism not long after becoming vegan in 2012. I just mm -hmm. um, felt after a while being vegan, so it must have been a few, a few months or to a year, and I just felt that it was no longer enough for me because 
you know, when you see the light and you become vegan and you think, oh, I didn't know all that and it made me go vegan. So if I tell everyone else, they will go vegan instantly as well. Mm. And uh, lo and behold, that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. You tell people, you show them, you explain, and they don't change. And so in all the months since going vegan, I had this accumulating feeling inside that it was no longer enough to just do the right thing for myself and my family, mm -hmm. by the way, my entire family is, is vegan, followed me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, but also I just felt that I had to go out there and speak up for the animals because what I was doing was no longer enough for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know I didn't know many vegans at all I didn't know any other vegans in my vicinity or neighborhood I had no vegan friends <clears throat> when that happened when I turned vegan um it, when you go vegan when you don't know any other vegans around you it's quite a lonely experience mm. so I just decided to you know pick up my courage and look and I just checked Facebook and the internet to see whether there was any animal rights activism in my area because I had no idea. And I was watching at the time a lot of activism that was being done in in the United States and the UK and um, France, Germany, Israel. And I was really inspired by that. And I couldn't tell for sure if the same things happened in uh, New Zealand um, so I just looked I just opened <laughs> Facebook and I looked and I saw that yeah there are activism grassroots activism groups and one day it was a vigil outside the slaughterhouse here in Wellington where I am living and um, I just went I made a placard myself like a big A1 placard that I created with a babies die here <laughs> mm. with a picture of a slaughtered cow really huge and I just went um, and joined them and that was the first time I met any of my current friends because we became friends um, and friends like family I would even say very very close and these are my my vegan family and so we jo I joined them um, we had plenty of in grassroots um, actions, completely violent ones, I should add. Um, and um, after a couple of years later, or a few years later, we the the core group also established um, the Wellington branch of the um, Animal Save movement. So we did a lot of vigils outside of Slaughterhouse. And I've been doing grassroots activism here ever, ever since. I just feel that I have to speak up for them. I have to use my voice, my thankfully good health and um, my ability to go out there and because I have the freedom to do that and they don't. The, mm -hmm. These animals, they don't. And I just felt the obligation, the moral obligation, and I still do, to do that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and with writing, how did writing became part of this whole thing? I've been writing all my life. Um, I never published because I never had the incentive to publish or to write something that was good enough, that was worthy of publishing. Um, because, you know, the first manuscript that I wrote, um, it was just a story. I had no moral um, 
or ethical message or anything like that. It wasn't burning in my bones to get it out. I didn't also, I didn't think it was good enough. Um, but then when I decided to write um, the first book of the trilogy called The Shed, and it um, I started writing it around 2014, 15. And I just knew that I have to harness my writing skills and my passion for writing in order to write something that was incredibly good that um sorry <laughs> I do think it's very good but I uh, you know I was actually set up to write something that was really good and um um don't want to sound very <laughs> um hey you know what if you're not going to your horn no 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 toot your horn absolutely if you're not going to do it who's going to do it for you so toot your horn it's incredibly good keep going yeah, 4 a.m. So <laughs> um, I um, I just decided that I need to write something that was really good. And what I mean, something that is like page turning, that um, if an if a pre-vegan um, picked up the book, they, even if they didn't understand initially that this was written by a vegan author and all that, they will not be able to put the book down. Um and that is that was something that they would it, they will sink into the book and they will not want to stop reading it until the end and by the time they reach the end the message hits them hard in the face mm. and that's what i was set up to write i wrote it i i've written also in the genre that i really enjoy reading which is like dystopian fiction um thriller uh, suspense and uh, i wrote the shed which um was really well received and the other thing that I really want to stress is that um it's absolutely not just for vegans so I wrote a, a vegan a, a book with a strong vegan message but it's not for vegans it's actually ideal for pre-vegans um to read it's like an outreach tool but through literature and um also I made a clear decision before publishing it that I don't want to hide the fact that I'm vegan myself. I, d I want people who pick up the book to know who who wrote it, what they stand for. I'm not going to cover it up uh, by fluffy words. I'm just going to say on the cover, you know, in the little blurb about the author that I'm vegan and an activist <laughs> so that they know what they're in for. And it's up to them to decide whether they want to read or not. So I know that the ideal is to get... Um, as much reach as possible but I really didn't want to compromise the fact that this was a book by a vegan not just for vegans for everyone and I needed there was no vegan voice in literature almost at all when I started now there are and I'm privileged to know a lot of fantastic vegan fiction authors, some from New Zealand, some from the America and some from the UK. And they're all amazing. Um, and um, especially fiction, there's not a lot of fiction authors, um, vegan fiction authors, but back then there was nothing. And I really didn't know any other fiction author who was vegan or any book that had that message that I wanted to deliver. And so I decided that this was an honorable thing to do to just put the truth on the cover and not to hide who I am and it's been I think it was okay because we tend to think there is a lot of anti-veganism out there because that's what we get a lot on social media 
but that's just the vocal I think <laughs> slime on top of the water <laughs> I mean most of I think most of people who are pre-vegans are either completely ignorant of what's going on or really curious and I think the that curious curiosity actually got a lot of pre-vegan readers to my books and I kept receiving messages from them later on say oh thank you for opening my eyes and thank you and thank you and I now want to share it with all my friends and it's it's absolutely heartwarming because this is exactly what I was set up to do and um um I, I decided even though the shed I have to also <laughs> caveat 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 um even though it's it's a very vegan message clear vegan message um it was kind of subtle. And then I decided to, I was expecting, people started asking me where the rest of the, yeah, where is the rest of the story? Because the shed kind of, it doesn't end up on a cliffhanger, but it kind of begs to be continued. Mm. So people started asking me for where is the second part? And so when I decided to keep writing it, and the, even then, I didn't think it was going to be a trilogy. I, I just thought it was going to be two books. And I wrote Liberation, which is the second part. I decided to make it less subtle and make it more um, more in your face, I, I'd say, message. Um, less subtle. So I was hiding it less with, because I thought, okay, people who will read the uh, Liberation have already read The Shed. So it's not going to they already know what I'm about. <laughs> they already know what they're in for. And uh, so um, I kind of, I took the gloves off a little bit, you, if you like. And uh, still, um, I, I it did well. And people kept asking me after a while, after a few months. And I thought, okay, it's two books and that's enough. Everyone's writing a trilogy. I don't want to write a trilogy. I'll just write two books. <laughs> and but, yeah, and people just said, where is the end of it? <laughs> and people started really demanding the end of the story because the liberation does end up with a little bit of a cliffhanger. It's not a, you could, you could have left it there, but people wanted to, people need closure, I mm. think, and catharsis. And I didn't give it to them in liberation. <laughs> so I, um, I felt kind of obligation to to um, end the trilogy, the Liberation trilogy, with something that is a little bit more uplifting and hopeful mm -hmm. and um, to make my readers feel elated and give the readers the hope that we can actually change the world and make a difference. Even though the Liberation Trilogy is a dystopian future and in an undisclosed place, but, you know, you can take so much message um, of the messages of the books into your own life and into your own activism. So I really wanted to end it on a high and give people the the, the catharsis and the hope that they wanted. Um, so I written It Was In Our Hands as the third um, book, which closes the uh, trilogy and um i ended it yeah i don't want to give away <laughs> too much of the plot but um it, it really ends well 
largely the, the the liberation trilogy follows Sunny, who is my uh, female protagonist. And I also have to say that I'm also feminist. So it was very important to me to put uh, female leads in all my books and even my uh, villains <laughs> are female. Um, and Sunny is a girl who is raised on a very weird farm where she has absolutely no contact with or hardly any contact with the outside world. And um, there there are only girls and women on the farm and they her, her childhood is quite sheltered and happy. But it's always very, very odd. There, it's clear that it's not a normal existence and um, there is a big shed on the farm where girls are forbidden from entering and there's also a wire all around the farm and it's electric wire and so they know that they're not allowed to touch the fence and they have actually seen some women deliberately touch the fence and they don't actually comprehend why but then when Sunny turns um, 15 she and all her friends are called into the shed <clears throat> and then her mum actually um tells her to run away to to run away from the farm so without giving too much away um i was highly inspired by animal farm uh george orwell's novella mm -hmm. george orwell what he did uh, even though he does have humans on this novella but he used animals um to depict a, a human behavior and a human politics and human you know um existence especially stalinism and the russian revolution and all that he had a lot to say about that and um so he used the pigs like napoleon and if you if people read animal i mean i loved animal farm um it, as a child and so the pigs are actually humans uh the the stalins and the and his and his fellas um so i was really inspired by that and i wanted to do something similar but to turn it over on its head and I used humans to tell some stories about animals and their existence and how we treat them. So my humans actually represent farmed animals. So you can maybe um, guess that Sunny is a dairy cow. Uh, she's a human dairy cow. She's a human um, slave cow dairy, whatever you call them. In my book, they're called dairy slaves. Um so because I really wanted to, the readers, the unsuspecting pre-vegan readers to be able to put themselves in the shoes of the animals. And I thought, how am I going to do that? The, the reader has to finally connect, be able to see the world through the eyes of the frightened and haunted and tortured and exploited animal but how am I going to do that I mean I can do it really easily because I'm standing outside the slaughterhouse every now and again and I look at the terrified animals that are brought in in the trucks and and they go in and they will come out sliced and packaged and think people still think that what happens in between is humane um, so how disconnected can you be and I really wanted to put the the reader in the shoes of these animals. So um Sunny is that 
you can actually do that through Sunny and her friends. And yeah, so in the second book, Liberation, is more about um, Sunny's joining a group of activists because I really wanted to praise the work of activists and the difference that they make in the world. Um, we need more activists. And um, then the third is more political. It's more about changing the law and basically to bring liberation to everyone who is exploited uh, through the political realm. And um, yeah, and I that was the, the trilogy. And I thought, that's it. I said what I had to say. <laughs> Don't know when I'm going to write another book. Um, but very soon after, so the 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 it was in our hands was published in July, um, twenty 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 one yeah twenty twenty one, and so by a, a year later, uh, around May June twenty twenty two, I started feeling the <laughs> you know my fingers twitching, I had to. I had to start writing another book about the climate, um, about the climate because I feel that um, I am I'm frustrated. I'm so frustrated by the fact that it is so clear now. Science have absolutely clarified to us again and again and again that moving to a plant based economy and ourselves as individual going vegan is the almost the only way or the most effective way I should say uh, for us to avert the catastrophe that is upon us and still people it's not just people ignoring it but the media is almost like a there's almost a wall of silence um, deliberately possibly funded well-funded I would assume by the industries that try to hush it up and we know that they did hush it up for the IPCC the the body that is responsible um to write the, the international committee for climate change or whatever it's called and they were bullied bullied um last year into removing their um recommendation for reduction of meat and and dairy consumption and so you have to wonder what's going on we know that about uh, struggling to remember the exact number about 80 percent of media reports do not include animal agriculture at all in their reports about the causes of climate change and the and the and the how to uh, tackle it they just completely ignore it um and so in my utter frustration um, because it's such a simple change and yet there is such a pushback on it um, I just decided it's it's time for another book <laughs> and uh, the new book is just came out this week um, oh it took, congratulations it took a while thank you <laughs> it's called Dear Tui a warning it's a climate crisis fiction and um uh, it's very hard hitting. I have to say, it's quite dark, and um, it's it's very powerful. I wanted it to be very powerful. To know no, there's no holding back uh, in this one, so I would not recommend it for under sixteens. Um, 
well you you might know if you have kids and you know your teenagers if they're very mature and you know they know the ways of the world then fine but uh, and I, my daughter will definitely read it before she's 16 there's no, there's no way there's no way she's waiting till then but um you know you know your teenager as a general rule i would say probably not because it's it's got violence and it's it's hard and um this book follows um juniper Juniper Hawthorne, she is a girl of nine years old at 2023. So she's, she lives already. She is, she's here. She's nine. And the book goes between, so it's, um, it's got a, it's kind of bouncing with time a little bit, but, um, I love playing with time in my books <laughs> and, uh, and, and points of view and time-wise, so a lot of flashbacks in my books, etc. But um, so 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 we follow Juniper from 2023 to 2063, and we we that's that's kind of the end of it. And um, 2063 is not that far away in the future; it's only 40 years. So Juniper is 49 when basically the world is is almost at the end of it's almost at the end of itself. Um, still still not but but life is extremely difficult and it kind of shows you how slowly life deteriorates and breaks down and society starts to collapse and there's shortages of food and there's famine in the rich countries and there's wars and there's uh, civil wars and there's um you know you have to women alone uh, my my protagonist so so Tui people ask me what is Tui Tui well in New Zealand Tui is the name of a beautiful beautiful bird um, beautiful singing bird but um, it's also an, a first name uh, I think mostly given for it's a, it can also be a last name by the way not just a first name it's a name a person's name but I think mostly as a first name mostly for girls and in in my book indeed Tui is the daughter of Juniper. And there is a, um, it's almost an um, spiritual connection between them, which I'm not going to give away. But um, yeah, so how a woman alone in a world that is collapsing around her um, in a in a harsh, harsh, harsh climate change reality has to fight to survive in what she has to go through. Um, so I... It's my books are not gory at all, by the way. None of them is gory, but is quite suspenseful and it's quite hard hitting. And uh, you know, <laughs> people who read my books are, oh, I had to cry in a few times and I actually had to scream. <laughs> but the idea is that at the end of the book, you get a list of things that you can do to 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 try and 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 join the climate crisis fight. Um, so there's a list of about five things that you can do because I don't want people to finish reading Dear to a Warning and feel hopeless and helpless. Um, there are things that people can do and everyone, when people might say, oh, I'm just an individual, what can I do? Of course, you can do a lot. I mean, it's the same like saying, oh, New Zealand is such a short, it's such a small country. If we did or didn't, um, you know, cull um, or sh shorten our dairy numbers, and of course, no one is even talking about going completely plant-based, but because dairy, 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 but um, 
if even if we force a sh smaller dairy herds in the country, that would be a that would be a very ballsy act from the, from any government at the moment. Um, but even that, I doubt. I doubt they do it. But if they did it, wouldn't it make a difference for us? Of course it would, because it would. Um, because you have to say. If if we give gave up instantly before we we even tried to do anything, then of course we lost. Say you can, say you can't. You're right, and you have to say that you can because otherwise we are really doomed. And I have kids, and I don't want um them to be the last generation. And we and in my book, I was really trying to ex to explain that if we don't do anything, then they might be. They might be. We can't comprehend as humanity our own extinction, but this can absolutely happen, and uh, it's already happening. So, and what I really also wanted to convey in my book is that it's not going to be just, you know, <laughs> the, the famished countries in Africa. This is going to hit everywhere. It's going to hit Europe. It's going to hit America. It's going to hit. Uh, South America, Australia, New Zealand, everywhere, Asia, of course. I mean, everywhere that you look in the globe will going to, is going to be affected. And there's going to be no running away from it. Um, so, yeah, this was <laughs> my fear and frustration channeled into a very powerful book. I'm so proud of this book, to be honest. I think it's my absolute best. And um, hopefully it will... It will make a difference in the in the readers who who read who read it i got amazing reviews already i got five stars from literary titan which is not a vegan uh, establishment but they completely understood where i was coming from and they've written a absolutely poetic i would say even a review praising the book i have um, really nice um, endorsements from a lot of activists around the world, especially in UK. And even, oh, my darling, I, I love this guy. He is an act, He's an activist and actor, which I really, really adore. His name is Peter Egan, and he endorsed my book. Um, and that really kind of <laughs> excited me so much. Um, yeah, so it's it's it has been uh, well-received so far in the three days that it's out <laughs> but um, <laughs> so yeah it's all on amazon by the way if you want to have a read go it's available as an ebook and as a printed uh, paperback you can uh, either or whatever you prefer um yeah all over the world america canada germany australia um uk obviously wherever there is a an amazon specific uh, shop online then you'll find and hopefully soon i hope also barnes and noble barnes and noble have my other my trilogy is sold also through barnes and noble it also sold through um waterstone in the uk and so yeah just just google your favorite online retailer and you probably will be able to find my books and if not then i hope you can yeah find it on amazon or yeah uh, yeah, and, and we're going to put links to the books in the show notes of this episode anyway. So you're going to have uh, a surefire way if you're listening to this and you want to find out more about the books, you're going to have a surefire way. Just go to the show notes and I'm, I'll put the links to, uh, to Maya's website 
and you'll be able to get to the books pretty easily. Uh, Maya, thank you so much for all of that. I appreciate it. I do want to make one quick comment sort of thing. You broke up when you said that when you were doing the actions at the slaughterhouse, I assume that you said that they were always nonviolent. And what came out was they were always violent. And I went, I think she meant nonviolent, but you broke up a little bit. And I'm like, the microphone swallowed the non. So, so I will say, let's, let's just make that clear that, that your actions at the slaughterhouses were always nonviolent and that you were standing for the animals. And that, you know, and that's, that to me is in many ways, the key to activism in this way is to stand for the animals. And yet you've written this book about how animal agriculture actually is affecting and in some ways driving the climate crisis. And I did, as part of the Vegan Life episodes of this show, I did a 10-week-long series all about animal agriculture and climate change and how that changes. So if you want to go listen to any of those, if you're listening to this, you want to go listen to any of those, go go for it. Listen to them next. But Maya, I would love your take on that. You know, you've said there's very little coverage of how animal agriculture affects and in many ways drives the climate crisis. But I would love to get from you what what is what is the main driver of, of animal agriculture's effect on climate? Well, I'm not a climate um, scientist, but I um, but I read and understand that in in New Zealand, for example, I think the main culprit is dairy, and I think dairy generally in the world is seen as one of the largest issues. There, there's a variety of effects. For example, um, when we think about the disaster of the Amazon River, the forest the Amazon forest, the burnings. Um, I think that was like three years ago. A huge, vast um, man, um, man-made man fires in the Amazon forest. And the world just in Brazil, and the world just held his breath and couldn't believe what was happening. That was like the lungs of the world and they've been destroyed. Well, one of the reasons that they are destroyed is to make more room for cattle uh, farmers. Um, so that is absolutely staggering fact. Same with um, you know, with uh, forests in Borneo and the cataclysmic effect on the orangutan uh, for palm oil. Um, in New Zealand, for example, there's so much intense dairying that all our groundwater is completely polluted. Some mm. of our beautiful, you know, you think New Zealand, you think the beautiful landscapes, and it is absolutely stunning here. But so many of our pristine rivers are now polluted to the point where you're not allowed to just jump in, as mm. people used to do when they were kids, because of the effect of the um nitrate in the groundwater just just filters into the water and of course there is the methane the methane which is the worst culprit of all and the more cows and the more animals you have the more methane the effect on the atmosphere is absolutely critical and um and even though there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people who are talking about climate change and the animal agriculture like you in the mainstream media and on the newspaper 
it's very rare. I mean, we have more of it now. I mean, you have a lot of about climate change. That's, there's no doubt about that. But the making the link between animal agri between animal agriculture and the pollution that created by it. I mean, in New Zealand, the the um the um emissions created by um animal agriculture is fifty percent mm -hmm. of all emissions, and that's staggering. Fifty percent. Imagine how cleaner and greener, <laughs> beautifuler we would be. And and you also have to ask yourself, why are we not talking about it? And why are we hiding this fact? What is it? What do we have to lose? And of course, what do we have to lose? It's also about money. And, and money, it's about money. It's about very, very powerful industries losing money. And look at they 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 go into overdrive now with the success of veganism, um, and so much fake news and so much false news is being filtered into social media to in order to, um, to make you know plant based eating seem un unhealthy and and so much fake news and so much scaremongering just don't hurt their you know bank account, mm -hmm. and um. Yeah, that's that's just greed, plain oh, and sure. simple. Sure, and 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 it there it's it is interesting to me. You know, I've been vegan for a long time and went vegetarian originally in 1987, so a really long time ago. And I can't tell you how many people have asked me where I get my protein from, and <laughs> you know, I mean, countless, countless people. And so, yeah, I agree with you. The the lobbies are powerful. That this is when we're when we're talking about media campaigns that are designed to go, you know, there was in the USA, there was got milk as if you're missing something if you're not drinking dairy. And yet we should also be cognizant of the fact, I think, that more and more people are coming up as uh, lactose intolerant, right? They can't have dairy. And to me, I saw a meme just the other day that said, you know, you're not lactose intolerant. You're just not supposed to be drinking another species milk. And I went, absolutely. That's a brilliant way of putting it. And so, so I wanted to ask you something about this aspect of it, the, this notion of you're, you're pushing inroads in, in a way, in a storytelling way, which I think is so powerful. Telling stories is one of the oldest ways of, of, giving information and teaching the people who come after you. So that's what you're doing. You're doing that. But something that I'm always butting my heads up against, because one of the things that I do is I do environmental education in schools now. I'm known as the earth lady and I go in and I teach about uh, climate change and going green and the soil and, and water quality and air quality, et cetera. And one of the things that's tough, especially with kids, but we can say that at any age is that we can see the short term, for example, of, oh, it's going to rain today, so I need my umbrella. But what we cannot see is the long-term view of the climate shifting so that places that used to be dry are now super wet or places that used to get a certain amount of rainfall have now become deserts or the sea level rise, which is happening so slowly that we're not paying as much attention Oh, as we should, you know, Dr. Uh, Walid Abdullahi, who is a, an ice scientist, talks about it beautifully. And he talks about it so eloquently, but even still, because it's not something that we see 
happening day to day, it's harder for us to grok. It's harder for us to see. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. What do we need to do as people who are thinking about this, as people who read your books and come out with an idea that they want to do something? How do we combat this real challenge as far as getting people to see the long-term issues here when we tend to be more short-term thinkers in this way? It's a real issue. And it's not just children as everyone, I think. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to look into the future and see doomsday, you know. Um, and it's true. And even even when we look at the present today, I think the problem is that the the catastrophes that are happen already right now happen here, there, the other place. So fires in Australia. Um, flooding in New Zealand, uh, burning in um, in Greece, and then flooding in Greece and um, Canada, and um, so you know you have it here, there, 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 and you don't. And of course, Lahaina. Oh, I was, I, I think, because I've been to Lahaina in in Maui, I felt it very personally um, shattering. Sure, um, it's. It was an amazing place, such a beautiful place, lovely people. And um, you think about all the people and all the animals that were mm. that have perished or if they survived, they lost everything. Yeah. Um, um, you, you, there, you know, there are some places you, you, you think it's not going to happen here and ever. Even, even for me, I, I would think, oh, it's Lahaina. Why would it happen there? But it did. And so we, and we still find it really hard because it happens and, random places around the globe that you don't kind of take your pencil and <laughs> make make it look make it look like climate change you know on the paper um so even even when it's happened right now it's the way it's reported to us as um single stories as siloed we don't tend to weave them into a single story and even if we do the problem is that again, going back to the animal agriculture, is almost never pushed into the story as well. So we are not given the full picture in any way, shape or form. Um, that's why I think in my book, I make it stretch over 40 years. Um, it it shows because, yeah, the full destruction, well, it, it can happen earlier, but I thought... 40 years would be probably more realistic um and i really wanted to show the gradual decline of of things because one of the things that really worries me for example that i did put in the book was the the fact that oxygen might run out if we destroy the ocean which is the lungs of the world like 80 percent of the oxygen is generated from by the ocean and it's almost on the brink of destruction and um, from overfishing, from pollution and the complete collapse of, of all the life system. Um, and so, and obviously the Amazon and everything like that. So um, we, we might face an age where oxygen will start running out, it'll be less. And I thought, how are we going to survive then? <laughs> Um, so of course there's going to be some conglomerate somewhere who's going to manipulate the whole situation and give us some solutions with worth a lot of money. 
Um, and I kind of did put it also because <laughs> I had to, you know, say something about greedy capitalism. But um, yeah, I I think again, if you speak up now, there there are are things that you can do. I am also part of because um. I'm part of the SAVE movement. I'm also part of the plant-based treaty. We do a lot of activism. We try to convince politicians in our local bodies, like the mayors and the uh, committees in our local towns and cities. And we try to persuade them to, to endorse the plant-based treaty. Um, and by endorsing, they basically put their names and approval into trying to turn the city greener and what i mean by that is that even if you have events in the city then you will not um, serve meat and dairy or only plant-based food and you will try to completely clean up your town and and check what you know what fuel you're using and how people are communi uh, commuting and et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a whole myriad of, of things that you commit to. So there's a whole campaign around trying to convince and, and some big cities in the world have already endorsed the plant-based treaty like Edinburgh and even LA um, um, and, and some other smaller towns in, in the UK. And um, we are pushing putting a lot of effort now in convincing both Wellington and Dunedin here in New Zealand to endorse the plant-based treaty. And even that small bit of thing, and you don't even have to rally the streets, you know, you can do it from your computer if you want to convince your local bodies and your mayors and stuff um, to, to commit to a plant-based treaty and a greener lifestyle, which includes obviously plant-based food. Um, then you can do it. You just need to, yeah, open the computer, seek plant-based treaty, and you can do even that small thing can help. There are a lot of a lot of other organizations um, that are um, all about climate change and and fighting it that are vegan as well. So I would just encourage you. It's really. I know as a as a grassroots activist that not everyone feels comfortable standing outside in the street or um, by the slaughterhouse doing an absolutely non non-violent, hundred <laughs> percent non-violent act actions uh, for raising awareness and fighting for the animals. But um, there is always something that anyone can do. I mean, look, you have your podcast. I have my books. People can write songs like "Look at Moby, he's amazing." Um, people can um, can use their success, like if you have a, a lot of followings on social media, use that in order to spread the message. Don't be silent. Um, I, you know, we all remember uh, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, thank you speech when he got the Oscars for um, the Joker and how he talked about dairy. It was amazing. Um, someone like him using his the stage to to push the message. I'm also invited to as a speaker um, to a lot of places, but that are to a lot of yeah, conventions and stuff to talk about uh, writing as a vegan activism, but. Even when I'm doing 
a non-vegan related work like I'm part of the um, Wellington New Zealand Society of Authors um, it's not a vegan body at all but I'm influenced or I wouldn't even say influence. I just asked if we can move, if we can change in our own functions, in our own liter literary events, if we can make the food completely vegan, it would be more inclusive. And they said, yes, it was that easy. <laughs> we didn't even have That's to wonderful. fight or, yeah. So, and, and things like that, just small things and you can make a real difference. So just don't, just don't um, think that you don't have, the power to change the world because you can look at Greta look at what she did she was just 15 when she was just striking every Friday and yeah there's a lot of people ridiculing her and all that but look at what she did around the world rallying the youth uh, for climate and still not enough voices in that rallying for uh, veganism and plant-based treaty but um it's growing, it's growing. And you can you can see we're starting to breach through the the resistance. Um it would be really interesting to see how many mainstream radio shows and media <laughs> invite me to talk um with with this book. Probably not many, because uh, again, I'm very clear about the message that I bring. And it's it's kind of sometimes a barrier. Um, but yeah, but I, I hope that through readers and I found with the liberation trilogy for example that what happened was very interesting because people who read the book and were almost swayed swayed by it and, and love fell in love with it and loved it so much and and decided to change their ways what they did is starting to loan it to their friends and family so a lot of people would just get the book and just spread it around in their immediate community so I, and I love the fa that fact, and I, I, I love it. Um, I didn't write my books to make money or to become rich and famous. It's all about the message for me. It's all about what it's going to do in the world. And um, and so I love it that people share my books between each other. And I hope that also with Dear Tui, it's going to happen and people will just share the message so that it comes, so that it goes further and people will understand that what they decide to do what they even more than that what they decide to shop at the supermarket this afternoon can have an impact on on the climate and will because and if they decide to stop then it will have an impact on the climate because if if you just think, oh, it's just me and I have no power and what can I change? And of course, you will not change anything. You're right. But if you do and you speak up and people start changing around you, then of course you'll start. It's like a ripples effect. You throw, I, I, and this is what I think is my role here. I throw the stone in the water and the ripples will happen and they will grow and grow and grow. And it might not be instant but it will happen. It's already happening. So I'm just trying to accelerate it a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that's fabulous. And, you know, to echo what you're saying, activism comes in many flavors. And if you are inspired to become an activist, there are lots of things you can do. If you are of the shy sort, uh, you know, turn off the faucet when you're soaping up your hands. Start small, but start. Take 
a moment and and realize that, you know, first thing in the morning, watering your flowers is not great. You should be doing it, you know, at the end of the night so that they can, so that the water won't evaporate. There are things like that that you can do right now and tell your neighbors. And yeah, and the next the next time you have a meal, go for a plant-based barbecue. Tofu is fabulous with barbecue sauce on it. I know because I have it often, but you yeah. know, the, but the thing is like you, you said you wrote Dear Tui to talk about the climate crisis, to talk about what's happening now. And, but there are other themes in the book that are sort of, and, and also in the liberation trilogy that are, that are in addition to the veganism, you're, you said earlier, you're a feminist. There are a lot of feminist themes and women's empowerment in all of your books, I think. So I would love it before we end, because I know I could keep you here for the next six hours to chat. Um, <laughs> but I would love if you would give a little bit of of sort of a little bit of, you know, impart a little knowledge to us about how your feminism and your idea behind feminism and what it means informs your writing as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I I had my mom when she raised me to be strong, right? Yeah, it's always credit to to someone in your life. And um, my mom raised me to be strong. And I clearly remember when I was younger, she would say something like, I'm not a feminist, but. Right. And that but is like, but women should be then, women should ban and get better pay and equal then. So I thought, what what's what's wrong with the word feminism? Why is my mom say? Because it was almost like a, a bad word you know, to say, oh, mm -hmm. don't say about me, I'm a feminist, because that means this and that and I think as a teenager I already knew decided to embrace the word and I I researched even what does it mean because I, I knew that I'm strong and I was always told that I can do anything a boy can do and never and always push back and be strong and all that and um and I when I discovered the word feminism and it appealed to me so much and I I, I decided to really embrace it and research it. So um, my first uh, degree was in communication and management. But then when I had a chance to do a master's degree, I thought uh, I'm going to study gender. I really wanted to delve into the world of feminism, writing and, and, um, and um, you know, theories and, and all that stuff. And it was such an amazing time being a student and, embracing feminism and women are amazing um such such there's so many clever clever women it, all around us and in the world and they were traditionally silenced and even today you know there are so many countries that they are fighting to put women back into cages and lock the key um feeling very threatened by liberated women and thought-provoking women and um and so it was very important to me to have my protagonists be female, be women, and um, and be strong, but still vulnerable, um, vulnerable but strong. So um, so that women could identify with whether you did think yourself as a feminist or not. It's irrelevant. These women represent a, a woman that you might feel. Um, compelled to 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 feel compassion for and want her to to thrive and to succeed and it's the same for the liberation trilogy it was really important to me to put a girl in the center 
um, and and most of the characters, even the villain, um, because it's just something that I was missing a little bit. There's more and more female protagonists in books now, but there are still more male protagonists, and certainly when it comes to villains, um, more males. Uh, it's more male dominant. Um, but also I wanted to tell a story about motherhood. I wanted to tell a story about relationships. Um, my books are very, um, very um, honoring of, for example, the queer um, um, rainbow, I would say. Um, Tui ends up marrying a woman um, because, you know, I wanted it to be very open and very in inclusive. I have um, all sorts of... Um, ethnicity is represented in my book um, because I want it to be a book for everyone. Uh, it's very inclusive and um, I wanted everyone who reads the book to, to find an echo of themselves somehow, even mm. though it talks about a different place, a different world, different time maybe, but an echo of themselves and an honoring echo. So it's never judgmental or anything like that. It's very natural so that um yeah i love I, that I, I, no, I do you. because it's it's overt and i think all, all of my fiction books the protagonists are women um not all the villains are women but well in my in my mystery novel i think in die by the sword the jury is st still out on exactly who the villain is we'll find out more about <laughs> that in books two three and four what's, <laughs> what's interesting about this to me is that you know you're you're a, it looks to me like you're approaching everything from this holistic place and i want to i want to comment on something that you said and because there's something so powerful to me about this notion of the planet is, is dying actually the planet's going to be fine to be fair, mm. the planet will be fine until the sun goes supernova sometime or becomes a red giant sometime like four and a half billion years from now, not million, billion. So we won't be around anymore. But th the planet will be fine. It's those of us who live on the planet. It's the plant mm -hmm. life on the planet. It's the animal, non and human life on the planet. All all of that is what's at, at risk. And so we we when we're writing about this, when we're talking about this, we always have to stay cognizant about that. And I would love to get your thoughts before I ask you my last few questions, because I know I said I could keep you here for six hours, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that, on looking at it from that slightly removed perspective, yet at the same time, having it be a pretty intimate story. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, oh, I definitely agree with you. The, the planet will live on, but life as we know it will perish. And mm. it's already not perishing, but changing drastically. I mean, um, in Auckland, um, which is a bit north of Wellington, about nine hours drive or something like that, um, we had um, ext you know uh, horrible floodings. And at the end of at the end of summer last year, um, and then immediately followed by a cyclone, which is like a hurricane in the southern hemisphere. It's called a cyclone very strong cyclone in Auckland, a city that never saw things like that before ever. Right. And so it was, it would be easy to say, Oh, a one-off uh, once in a 150 year storm, but it's not 
once in a 150 year storm anymore. It happened consecutively in like a month. We had two floods in, in a cyclone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we are going to see this more and more often. So life as we know it is already changing, but it will keep changing uh, to a point where we will not be able to recognize um, the life that we know and the planet that we live on. And it saddens me greatly, all the species that we are already ext- um, ex- extinct extincting extinguishing whatever it's called <laughs> extinguishing or <laughs> causing to be extinct yeah yeah exactly already um or have already gone extinct and are currently being extinct and so because i do absolutely believe that the planet will survive and life will resume um flora and fauna will resume Someday. Um, someday and in some form, you know, we had dinosaurs before and now look what, what we have. So with it, it will be something else, um, and which I hope will be more successful in maintaining life on the planet until it goes kaboom. But um, yeah, it's just us. We as a species, I don't know what it is about humans. So arrogant and so careless about our home, that we are destroying it steadily but surely. Um, yeah. I... It, it is something that we, I think, we are in a position, unique position, to, as a, as a species, as a representative species on the planet, we, because of the tools we have, because of the technology we have, because of the brains we have, because of the opposable thumbs we have, we're in a unique position to do something about this. And that's the thing that I really like your books for is that they're highlighting the fact that it's possible. It is possible for you, for me, for the person down the street to do something about this day in and day out. And I think that we ignore what's going on at our peril. And so I love that you did the 40 year jump and jumps all over because it is happening in that longer time frame rather than the sort of the day-to-day human time frame. So we're in a different, we're living in a different world now, but we have to, in order for us to think about our very survival, I think, talk about the yeah. longer term. Yeah. yeah. People just don't, it, it's hard to face that because we, we are almost incapable or don't want to. It's mm. too hard to think about life ending, you know, in 50 years, 100 years, um, I put it at 40-ish, uh, but um, it's it's too hard to think about it. Like I said before, I can't, I've got two kids and just thinking about them as being the last generation, it kills me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is how does this happen? I, I, I remember my childhood, um, I, I was so far removed from any notion of the world ending, <laughs> couldn't even fathom. And look where we are now. Um, I'm not that old, <laughs> but it, it did happen very quickly. So yeah. um, it's, and it's, it's yeah. we can we can argue that actually. I mean, we can look at the last 120 years. I worked at NASA, so I lo- I've looked at all this data. But the the issue here is that it's accelerated so much over the last 50 years. Over the last yeah. 50 years, the changes have been happening for a long time since the Industrial Revolution. One could say, but the last 50 years have just it's it's become 
it, it's exponential now. The the changes are just so big. And that's the thing that we, you know, when you're shining the light like you are with the book that you're talking about is that this is something we need to stop in its tracks. And some say it's already too late, but there's, a, there's something before I ask you my last question, <laughs> Maya, cause I know I'm like <laughs> jumping around, but there's something that I wanted to chat with you about. I love the cover for dear Tui. I think the, the, the cover is brilliantly done. And I would love if you would talk a little bit about how the inspiration for the cover came about and what it means, because when you look at it, there's this beautiful sort of uh, beach with a tree and a young person and a dog on on one side, and on the other side, it's it's devastation and decimation. But they're both being held by the same pair of hands, and there is blood, like from a bullet wound almost, on the sky on the right side, not the side that's already destroyed, but the sky where things are still possible to be good. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration for that cover and how that came to be? Because it's really fascinating. I've been so, so lucky. This is a, the cover of my book is a bespoke piece of art created by the amazing art artist or artivist, I should say, artist, activist, uh, Australian woman called Joe Fredericks. A lot of people in the vegan community and the activist community online would recognize Joe's um, art, even if they don't know it's by her, because mm. there are very distinct, you know, the very distinct um, arts, and they are circulated all over the web all the time. She does a lot of animal rights activism in her art, and it's amazing. And I've I've been following him for a long time, and she has followed me for a while, and. Um, she read some of my books and when it came the time when I thought what would be a good cover for Dear Toei, um, I was still writing drafts so it wasn't even finished but I thought I have to ask Jo if she would be willing to draft um, something for me and I just I just emailed her and she knew who I was and because uh, she read my books and loved them so she said oh of course of course I'll do it and even you know free of charge and everything uh, wow. just by the by the commitment but by knowing that we are both committed to the same you know mission um and we are both um fighting for the same fight me in new zealand her in australia and um having uh, mutual adoration for each other so um she came up with a few drafts i loved them so much I thought it was brilliant. And um, Jo, um, she's immensely uh, talented and so lovely. Um, and I just feel so lucky that I've got that beautiful art on my cover. The the bloodstain, uh, I kind of added it <laughs> because I felt that um, the, 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 um, and of course, with her permission, absolutely 100% permission. And she actually loved it too. Because I thought um, without the blood stains, people might think um, it, it could be a children book, but it is not, absolutely not. And so I put the blood on the on the side, as you say, where things look hopeful, because that's the ominous, that's the, that's the pain, that's what's coming. 
if we don't change, then it's on the, the what's going to, how it's going to look like. It's on the back cover of the book. That's when everything is destroyed. And so I put the bloods basically to indicate that it's not a children's book, but mm. also to make sure that people understand it's not a kind of fun and positive and, oh, it is kind of positive because you, you end the book with some actions that you do, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's a hard hitting, very strong and powerful story. And I put it through to Joe and she said, oh, it's great. It's great. Yes. I loved it because it can also double up as a paint drops, which, you know, we both agreed that it, it was fitting. And yeah, that was the final version of the cover. And I'm so, so grateful to Joe. Um, she did it completely voluntarily um and um also in a period when uh she was going through and i didn't know it at the time but she lost her partner and um mm. i didn't know and still she she said yes um and it was amazing and i'm so 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 lucky and so grateful to her so please if you can you know go to see joe's uh website um she is absolutely amazing joe fredericks Fabulous. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's a it's a really uh it's I think an important cover and it says something that is really powerful. And it's interesting because I did this uh year of art. I made a piece of art every single day for a year. And uh yes. I did yeah, it was it, and it was not a uh, I'm not a fine artist in that way, but I went, you know what, I'm going to try. And so I did it every single day for a year. And it was fascinating to me in part because of, I, I created an earth and on the earth, I did essentially bloodstains, bullet holes. And mm. so as I saw the cover, I went, oh, that looks <laughs> just like my, wow, that's amazing. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's really, it's really quite fascinating to to be willing to do that and i appreciate so much that you were that you were willing to take it there uh maya i'm i'm really grateful that you took the time to be here and to chat about this i don't want to keep you too long but i do have one last question uh that i want to ask you and that i ask every single person who comes on the show but before i do could you do me a favor and just list sort of where can people find you your social channels or your website just so that we have it People learn differently and some like things written down and some like to hear things. So if somebody's interested in finding out more about you, can you please give where they can find you? Sure, absolutely. Uh, my website is mcroninauthor.com, mcroninauthor.com, author.com in one word. Um, and then I've got a Facebook page and a list thriving <laughs> instagram page but uh, you know it's all right i don't have a lot of followers so it would be nice if you could come and uh, follow um it's mc ronan underscore activist underscore author and on facebook it's um my handle is mc ronan so very well you're all very welcome to come and check me out <laughs> awesome awesome thank you for that yeah uh, and I'll put the links in the show notes so that you can just link to them and tap on the link and get there. Maya, again, thank you so much for being here. I have this one last question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. 
And I find that even though it's a simple little question, it can yield some profound answers. And here it is. If you had an airplane, environmentally friendly, of course, that could skywrite anything for the whole world to see, what would you say? Animal liberation now. It's all about that for me. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. That makes all sorts of sense. Well, (laughs) I mean, really, (laughs) Maya, again, thank you so much for being here. MC Ronan, if you are interested in finding out more about the books, the activism, you know where to go. The links are in the show notes. Maya, again, thank you so much for being here. This is Isolde Trachtenberg for the Creative Solutions Podcast, reminding you, as always, to be bold, be creative, and most of all, be kind. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe to the show if you're new, and it would mean the world to me if you told a friend about it. Today's episode was produced by Isolde Trachtenberg and is copyright 2024. As always, please remember this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Past performance does not guarantee future results, although we can always hope.